Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Welcome to the Blackhawks Talk Podcast. I am Pat Boyle. On this episode, Steve Conroy and Patrick Sharp join the podcast. We get into Brent Seabrook being a healthy scratch for two consecutive games. And we talk to Steve about what went wrong in Nashville and how can the Blackhawks fix it. Born in the Rockies, Coors Light is lagered cold for a crisp, clean taste. Filtered cold to ensure clarity and brightness. And packaged cold for peak refreshment. Because those who thirst for more deserve the world's most refreshing beer. Well, Steve, uh, that game in Nashville will leave a mark. The Predators had 51 shots on goal. They had 19 in the first, 21 in the second. If it was not for Robin Leonard, that thing might have been six love. It it almost seemed like they were never in the hockey game. And and just going back over, they had a chance early. There was a power play opportunity for Chicago. Absolutely nothing happened, no shots. And it just seemed like uh, Nashville built on that. So it's disappointing because, yeah, they had a pretty good game against uh, the uh, L.A. Kings a couple of nights prior. But keep in mind, L.A. has lost or had lost after that game against Chicago, uh, had lost their previous three games by a combined score of 15-3. to So L.A. is not uh, a real benchmark you should be measuring yourself against. This is a team you should measure yourself against, the Nashville Predators. And they came up uh, really, really short. And I think the biggest thing that jumped out at me was was the coverage. And, and Jeremy talked about after the game, you know, got to play desperate hockey. You do have to play desperate. You, you got to be in position to prevent chances. And they just weren't in, in those positions. So by not being in position, was that a lack of foot speed? Was that thinking too much? I mean, you look now at the last two games – uh, against the Predators at Bridgestone Arena. They allow 51 shots on Tuesday night. They allowed 50 shots uh, the, the finale last season. Uh, so when, when you talk about that coverage, what, what, why is it failing against this team specifically? I don't think it's the foot speed. You know, I, th- I think we're as fast as the Nashville Predators. Uh, you know, they're a pretty big, heavy team, so I, I don't think it's the foot speed. I think we're thinking too much, and, and I think we're maybe trying to be a little too aggressive. Here's the thing, and I played defense my whole career. The advantage you have as a defenseman is you know where they eventually want to come, and it's to the net. So what do you do? You take away that area, and it just seems like right now when the Blackhawks – Let's say the puck gets rimmed around the boards. We get five guys watching the puck come around the boards, and nobody's worried about what's going to happen in front of the net. So um, I, I think that's got to change. Yeah, it, it's great to be aggressive if you can force turnovers and get going the other way. And I think the theory that, that Jeremy had was if we can create turnovers in our zone, we'll catch teams thinking offense, and then we're going to rush down and get a, an odd man rush. Well, that's all well and fine, but – if you open yourselves up and teams are finding those holes and seams like they did tonight, 
And I don't know, I think you gave me the number of high danger chances they had. I think it was 25 or 26 to, to three. Um, that can't happen. And that, that's not a scoring chance. That's a high danger chance. That's a chance from within 15, 20 feet of your net. So um, to me, that spells maybe we're thinking too much. And maybe we've got to change our system a little bit too, uh, a, a little bit also because we're running out of position for no reason. Yeah, here, these are the, the numbers from the game against Nashville. Shot attempts, 87-41 Nashville. That's double. Yep. Shots on goal, 51-20. Mm-hmm. Five on five scoring chances, 30-13 to 13 in favor of Nashville. Mm-hmm. Five on five high danger chances, 13-3. to three. Yeah. So, look, uh, Jeremy said afterwards he obviously did not like his team's effort. He said the players that had been bringing it for him did not have good games. So uh, when we look at one area that can kind of spark a team when you're not going five on five, it's, it's the power play. And now the, the Hawks are 0 for their last 20. That's a span of six games. Now, there's certain tweaks that can be made. One of the biggest issues watching on Tuesday night was their inability to set up the power play because the Preds kind of sniffed out the the drop back. They were stacking the blue line and forcing the Hawks to either chip in or carry it in, and they were carrying it in and losing the puck pretty quickly. Yeah. When given that option, I think the best thing to do is like a hard rim, a hard around so that Pecorino can't stop it, and then you try to outnumber them on the boards. Uh, listen, I, I keep track of the power plays. Uh, we didn't win a lot of draws with the man advantage. And when you lose the draw, they're going to put it down the ice. That's a clear, that's 20 or 30 seconds off your power play. So uh, th- that, that, that's my first issue tonight. My second issue is something I've, I've had all year long is we've got to shoot a little quicker. Uh, you know, it, it can be one pass, maybe two passes, but then pucks have to be directed towards the net. And I know the other team might think that it's coming, but you know it's going to the net. So you could have four guys literally crashing. It starts the net. a chain reaction. It, that's exactly what it is. And guys get running around, and guys are out of position. And then hopefully you can outnumber them because you've got the extra guy. So take a shot right away. And you know Jammer talked about it tonight. Last year, a big part of the success was getting the puck back to Gus. Gus walking the line doesn't have to be a hard shot. Just don't put it in the goalie's glove. Keep it in his pads. Keep it blocker side. You want to get a rebound, and you want guys arriving there at the same time. So, uh, you know, you know, I, I kind of looked at a couple of the uh, the Nashville goals tonight, and that's exactly what they did: throws through pucks to the net, and they had guys in position to get rebounds. So, um, it, it sounds simple; it's hard to do. I understand it, but just give it a try. Win a draw, get the puck to the net, see what happens. Yeah, and I know they brought uh, Alex Nylander to the bumper roll on that power play. They wanted his uh, his right-handed shot yes, yes. added to the equation, which yep. makes sense. But if I look back at the success of last year, I mean, Dylan Strom was on that. Now, I know he fell out of favor a little bit this year with, you know, his play or what have you. But, you know, we saw something with Debrinket on Sunday uh, against L.A. You know, maybe you try the next power play or w- the, the following one by putting him back in that role to see if that ignites something. Yeah, or let me throw one more at you. Kirby Dock's a right shot. Sure. And Kirby Dock uh, played a lot of power play back in Saskatoon with the Blades. I think he can handle it, and I think he should be given that opportunity because here's what Kirby Dock has is just 
incredible reach. And it's funny how sometimes just having an extra two or three inches to get to a loose puck, especially when you're on the power play, makes a difference. There's so many loose pucks uh, on power plays uh, that you're trying to get to. Um, and I, I know he might not be the fastest guy right now, but he's got that reach, and that's a huge advantage. So put him in the middle. Listen, we love Kane setting up on the half boards on the right side. He's a left shot. He can go down to Johnny, who's a left shot, down low. Johnny can work his magic. He can either throw it across crease to the Brinkett coming in, or he can go high in the slot to, uh, to Doc. Or Kaner right off the half boards can give it to Doc for a one-timer. So, um, Listen, that's not a knock against uh, Nylander either because I think he's, he's played really well. I just think right now he's a little overwhelmed on the power play because it hasn't been doing well. Maybe he feels the onus on him, a little more pressure. Um, but, hey, give Doc a chance. And if not, yeah. I mean, last year uh, Dylan Strom did an admirable job there. And for two months they were the hottest power play in the NHL. All right, and there weren't many shifts five-on-five five to, to write home about. There was one in the third period when Dabrinkit – Strom and Kane were together, and it's almost like you could see them. They like playing with each other, so they kind of there's a little more pep in the step, so to speak. Mm-hmm. There were you know some great passes made, and Dylan Strom had a wide open look at the at the net and and shot wide. Could you? Is that a you know the last resort for Jeremy or? Could you see a scenario where you start a game and maybe start a game against a team like the L.A. Kings that mm-hmm. maybe you're, uh, you're, you're not as worried about? I'm willing to start the game because you can always change it. Even halfway through the first period, if it's not working, you change it. But you're right, the chemistry is undeniable. Uh, it seemed like all of those guys picked up their play a little bit when they got together. And then I think you've got... Let's say that's the first line. Let's let's call that the first line just because uh, Patrick Kane's on it. Then your second line could be Saad, uh, could be Taves, and could be Kubalik. Uh, Saad and Kubalik have been playing together almost exclusively all this year. Throw Johnny in the middle of that, and it's a grinding line. It's a line that can shut down the opposition's top line. Uh, you can win a lot of board battles. You get it down low, take it to the net. And then you've got a third line of, uh, you know, let's call it Shaw, Doc and Nylander, a little bit of everything. You get some skill, you got some grit, you got some size. Uh, And then your fourth line uh, would be Kampf, uh, Carpenter, and Kajula. And those are hard workers, and they could be effective together. So I'm not telling Jeremy Jeremy Collin what to do, but that could happen. And I know in the past that Johnny's played with Saad, and it's been very successful. So um, you might get a lot more people happy with a lineup like that. One more thing you could see on Saturday night in Los Angeles is the return of Brent Seabrook to the lineup. A healthy scratch for the second consecutive game. We'll we'll get more into it with Patrick Sharp here in a moment on the podcast. But, um, you know, your your thoughts on on just the message that has been sent to Brent and the team uh, with with him being a healthy scratch. Well, I think the message is that, you know, nobody's above the team. And if, if they think that the team will be better without a guy in the lineup on a certain light, and listen, it was a back-to-back night, so they're thinking, you know, here's a 34-year-old defenseman who isn't really fleet of foot anyway. Let's give him a, a night off. It seems like part of the issue was he wasn't made known of the fact until he got to the rink on Sunday. 
which, you know, they played Saturday afternoon in Carolina. It's a one-and-a-half-hour, two-hour flight home. Um, if the coaching staff didn't know at that time, I understand. I kind of think they did. Um, and if they did, they probably should have let them know. I think if, if it sounds like there's been a bit of a miscommunication between the coaching staff and Brent Seabrook. At least that's what it sounds like from Brent Seabrook. If that was the case, I can understand. Here's a guy who's played in the NHL for, what, 13, 14, 15 years. Yep. He's won three Stanley Cups. It's embarrassing uh, to be sat. Uh, let him know the night before, and then he can deal with it. Uh, to, sh- to, to go through a night where you're preparing, uh, you're preparing the day of the game. I don't know exactly how it went down, but it sounds like the line of questioning by our own Charlie Romiliotis afterwards was, that uh, Brent Seabrook wasn't made aware until Sunday. So I can understand him being a little upset about that. I would think that he drives back into the lineup uh, after this game, especially, you know, those goals that were scored tonight were all from guys standing right in front of the net. And that's something Brent Seabrook does very well, is make guys pay the price. Um, And one other thing we haven't mentioned is that uh, Connor Murphy, uh, that injury is hurting more than we thought. And uh, without a guy like Connor Murphy in the lineup, Um, this team doesn't play quite as well. Great stuff, Steve. Uh, We will see you Saturday night for Blackhawks pregame live. Up next, Patrick Sharp joins the podcast. Get all of your Blackhawks news in the palm of your hand with the My Teams app by NBC Sports, the best place to stream the games, watch highlights, read articles, and more. Download the My Teams app today. All right, Patrick, let's start with Brent Seabrook, a healthy scratch for the second straight game. Just your, your thoughts initially. You know, you usually don't see uh, a lot of changes to a lineup after a 5-1 victory, but this might be where you make an exception. Your thoughts on, on his second straight game where he's a healthy scratch? Well, we've seen it time and time again, whether it's with Jeremy or previous coaches. A winning lineup usually stays the same. Uh, the fact that they chose to take Seabs out on the back-to-back fourth game uh, in a, a week, a short period of time. They gave him some rest. Seabs was obviously not happy with it. And for me, that's a good thing. That's what you want out of your players. You don't want guys to accept their roles as a healthy scratch, as the extra player. So uh, the fact that Seabs is a little upset about it, feels he should be in the lineup, is a good thing. And Patrick, if we just look at this big picture and we look at the, the Hawks defensemen, their 8D, Seabrook is still in the top six, right? Yeah, and I agree with his comments, to be quite honest with you. I think he has looked better this year. He put some time in in the offseason to gain that foot speed back. His skating has looked okay. Uh, yeah, there's been some times where he's on the ice for some goals against, but a lot of the players on the Blackhawks have as well. I think the bigger issue is the fact that the player's unhappy about being a healthy scratch, and you know, I've been with, with Siebes a long time as a, as a friend and a teammate. Anytime you hear that kind of snarl in his voice, uh, I think that's a good thing going forward for him as a hockey player. When he says, I feel like I still got a lot to offer in this league and still be a good player for somebody, key word there being somebody, I mean, do you see this ending up any way where Seabrook waves the no-movement clause and he's traded? I mean, that's the first time I've ever heard Brent say something like that. But then, And again, this is just the third time he's ever been a healthy scratch. Yeah, this is the kind of the first time we're – we're crossing this bridge with Seabsy Boy, and it would be a shame to see him wear another jersey. I know how valuable he is as a teammate uh, for not only me and my 15 years as a professional, but everybody that's come through Chicago. He means a great deal uh, to that Indian head logo. So we'll see how this situation plays out. Last one on Seabrook. 
Uh, how do you think the, the rest of the team is reacting to this? And, and how important is the communication between the coach and a veteran player during this, this difficult time? Well, it's important. Communication is key uh, from coaches to players and vice versa. It doesn't matter if it's a veteran or a rookie like Kirby Doc. You always want to be on the same page uh, as your coaches, as your players on the team. I think as far as everybody else on the roster, this should serve as a pretty big wake-up call. You know, Brent Seabrook's done a lot for the Chicago Blackhawks over the years. Uh, he's been a warrior for that organization both on and off the ice. And those three Stanley Cup banners aren't hanging in the United Center without the contributions from Brent Seabrook. So the fact that he's uh, the odd man out right now on the back end, that should serve as a wake-up call to everybody throughout the lineup. If we can sit out Seabs for a couple games, then anybody uh, and everybody's on notice. You mentioned Kirby Doc. Uh, how impressed have you been with how he's adapting to this league uh, at, at just 18 years of age? It's been impressive, and I think Jeremy's done a nice job with him, just kind of moving him along slowly, uh, putting him in spots on the ice where he's not facing top lines, top competition, uh, trying to get away from those difficult matchups. At 18 years old, man, I can't even remember what I was doing. I was at the University of Vermont learning how to take a course load and play hockey at the same time. Kirby Doc is uh, living the life in the NHL. He's looked confident at times. Uh, a couple points to the score sheet's going to help that, but I think he just gets better and better as the season goes along, and, and kind of managing those lessons that he has to learn along the way is going to be key for, for Kirby going forward. By the way, were you a good student at Vermont? I uh, was a good hockey player in Vermont. <laughs> Wasn't exactly a great student, no. That's fair. Hey, as you take a look at this top six, and, and you know we've been talking about it when you've been on the show, just how impressive the third and the fourth line have, has been. Uh, do you have an optimal top six like in your mind of the guys that you think? Because like right now it's Kajula, Taves, Kane, Kubelik, Kampf, Nylander. Uh, do you have an optimal top six from your vantage point? I uh, can't argue with, with what it is right now. Uh, based on the first eight to ten games, that's the way it's played out. But for me, the top six is going to contain two different tandems. Uh, Kane and Taves on one unit, Strom and Dabrinkit on the other. And then whoever fills in that wing spot, or in the case of Stromer sliding over to the wing, that center ice spot, uh, is up for grabs. I like the play of Saad and Kubelik. They're, they're top six guys to me, but the way they're playing on that so-called checking line has been fantastic to start the season. Kajula has worked well with Kane and Taves over the years. Shazi can play that role. So there's a lot of options there. The biggest thing is who knows what the top six is going to look like going forward and who really cares. It's about getting wins and getting wins now because you look at the standings, teams are pulling ahead already, and it's a, it's a long way to go to catch up in the NHL. Great to see Dylan Strom reunited with Alex Dabrinkit. Of course, he's been moved to wing. Uh, you know about the transition from center to wing. How difficult is that? Uh, it's a little difficult the first couple times you do it, but I think it's important for everybody, uh, not just forwards in the National Hockey League, to play all three forward positions, but defensemen as well. We've seen time and time again the Blackhawks trot out uh, six left-handed shot defensemen, so guys are going to have to switch sides and play the off uh, off slot defensively for Dylan Strom sliding over to the wing. I think he's a natural center iceman. That's where he's played his whole career. That's where he's had all of his success. But look, it's a National Hockey League. There's good players everywhere, and you can't argue with the results with him sliding over to the wing against the Kings and scoring two goals and picking up an assist as well. So wherever he plays, uh, let's just get the best out of Dylan Strom because I think he's a key part of the Chicago Blackhawks. Robin Leonard getting the start on uh, Tuesday. That makes Six starts for Leonard, five for Crawford. Do you see this? Do you see this goalie situation shading a little bit towards Leonard's way with the way he's played? 
Uh, today, yeah, things are going well for Robin Leonard. I think this is exactly what Blackhawks management and the coaching staff envisioned when they signed him to a one-year deal to come in. And, and the word backup goes out the window when you sign a guy like Robin Leonard. You got Corey Crawford, Robin Leonard, a good goaltender playing each and every night. And you look at some of Corey's starts, it's difficult to pin some of those four or five goals against Knights on Corey Crawford's shoulders. The team defense in front of him was, was pretty poor a couple of those nights, a lot of high danger chances against. So uh, that's a little unfair for Corey, but I know the Blackhawks are confident at the goaltender position. For me, it's about the defense and forwards, buying into that team structure, that team system, limit those scoring chances against, and then it's not going to matter who's in the net. A lot of key injuries uh, in the West, specifically in the, in the Central, with Rontanen, Landeskog, Tarasenko all hurt, and the Stars and Jets off to rough starts. Do you look at the Central as somewhat wide open right now? Uh, no, not really. I think it's as competitive as it's ever been, and these teams that are losing key players, a team like St. Louis with Tarasenko going out, I think they can sustain it. And I, you know what I think about Vladimir Tarasenko. I would, Love to play in a line with him any day of the week. He competes hard, he scores goals, and we know what he did in the playoffs last year. But these teams, Nashville with Duchesne being out, Colorado, they may be tested with a couple of their star players being injured as well. But it's about depth uh, at this time of year. And I think those injuries in the Central Division could only bode well for those teams uh, going forward. You know, so time and time again, we watch star players just carry a team to the playoffs. It's about learning these lessons early in the season, dealing with some adversity. That's what we're seeing in the Central Division. The Blackhawks have had their fair share of adversity as well. Uh, I don't see that division as being wide open at all. I think it's seven difficult teams and it's a race to the playoffs. Roman Yossi gets a huge eight-year deal. Where does he rank as far as D-men in the West from your vantage point and what was it like for you to go up against him? He's right near the top. Uh, I don't like ranking defensemen, but I know whenever I saw Roman Yossi on the schedule, it was a difficult night. Uh, he skates well, takes away your time and space with his legs. He can check defensively just by skating into you and taking the puck off your stick. And then he's got a little bit of a bite to his game as well. Makes it difficult to get to that net. He's heavy on the cross check. He makes you feel it when you're out there. And we know what he can do offensively. Time and time again, I see him rushing the puck up the ice. He can skate his way out of trouble. He's got a real nice touch on that power play. So uh, not surprising that he signs a big contract. Uh, he's, he's a key to their back end in Nashville. And we know how good that defense has been for a long time. It's the reason why Nashville has been a top team in the last four or five years. And last one on the Hawks. Uh, when you look at Kane and Taves' numbers, do you think you need to see the power play improve to spark their five-on-five -five production? That helps. No question about that. I think it goes hand-in-hand. Whenever you're getting production on that power play, the five-on-five -five game gets that much uh, more simplified and easier to go out there and just produce offensively. I think in both the cases of Kane and Taves, I'd like to see a little more sustained offensive zone pressure. They're working hard. They're competing. Uh, they're in shape. They're ready to produce. It's just a lot of one-and-dones, a lot of hope passes, turnovers in the offensive zone. And as we know, Pat, the league is so fast that as soon as that puck turns over or there's a bobbled play, you're back checking and playing defense for 20 or 30 seconds. So to me, Kane and Taves will always, uh, their bread and butter will be playing below the dots in the offensive zone, that cycle game, that two-man uh, playing catch with each other and, and find a way to score five on five. Great stuff, Sharpie. Thanks for joining us. All right, Patty. Thank you. So that's a wrap on the Blackhawks Talk podcast. My thanks to Patrick Sharp for joining us and Steve Conroyd as well. Thank you, as always, for listening. We'll catch you next time on the Blackhawks Talk podcast.
Some people just know the best rate for you is a rate based on you with Allstate. Not one based on the driver who treats the highway like a racetrack and the shoulder like a passing lane. Why pay a rate based on anyone else? Get one based on you with DriveWise from Allstate. Not available in Alaska or California. Subject to terms and conditions. Rates are determined by several factors, which vary by state. In some states, participation in DriveWise allows Allstate to use your driving data for purposes of rating. While in some states, your rate could increase with high-risk driving. Generally, safer drivers will save with DriveWise. Allstate Fire and Casualty Insurance Company and affiliates Northbrook, Illinois.